Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the CX Goalkeeper podcast. Your host, Gregorio Leoni, will have smart discussion with experts, thought leaders, and friends on customer experience, transformation, innovation, and leadership. I hope you will enjoy the next episode. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight it's really a big pleasure because I have a fellow podcaster together, together with me. Hi, Marianne. How are you? Hi, Greg. I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted. And we are both in Switzerland for a change. Yes, I think we have quite a lot of things in common and yes. uh, our Swissness is one of them. Yes. And also for, for the audience, Marianne Roots is together with me, really a great fellow podcaster with her outstanding podcast, well, we'll, but we will discuss about that. Now it's really all about uh, operational excellence. Brilliant. Be before we deep dive in operational excellence, we would like to learn a bit more about you, Marianne. And therefore, the usual question, could you please introduce yourself? Yes, happy to do so. Thank you very much. So I'm a Swiss national. I'm married to an Englishman. We live in Scotland predominantly, but we, we traveled a lot through to profession and my, my husband being in the military, naturally you, you travel. So Switzerland was always my, if you wish, home. And This is where I come back to. Professionally, I started off in, in hotel and tourism, worked for some of the very big Swiss tour operators before I had an opportunity to, to move to Dublin with Hertz Rent-A-Car at the time. That was supposed to be a nine-month engagement. So Hertz provided the work permit for me. I helped them to relocate their back office function to Dublin. That was in 1999, and I've never ever since had my papers back in Switzerland. So it just became, you know. But it was also very, very clearly the start of my customer service and customer experience career. Because I didn't join Hertz with the view I'm going to work into a contact, in a contact center. I was project managing. What I ended up with is setting up this contact center with 3,000 seats, And one of the first thing my then American boss said to me, um, Marianne, how come that the Swiss do not want to speak to Germans on the call? And I'm kind of going, uh, because they don't understand each other. And it was such a, an alien concept at the time for our American friends that really a Swiss person wanted to have their call answers in Swiss German, not in German, in Swiss German. And that got me thinking, what does that mean for the customer when they call? And that was the start in customer experience. So there you have it. Thank you very much. And I hope that we are not going to discuss in Swiss German. I'm not able to speak Swiss German. I understand that. <laughs> But I think for the audience could be a for bit... For the audience, uh, yeah. Let's, let's stick with English. That's perfectly fine. Because my Italian... Except that I can I absolutely can order a coffee, I can order my pizza, I can have a, a very brief conversation, but that's my Italian. It's let's let's stick with English. That, that's perfect. I'm speaking Italian English, but I think the audience understand enough about exactly. what we are discussing. Yeah. Um before we 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 go further, I think another thing it's it's only on also relevant to understand and it's to learn a bit more about you which values drives you in life mm -hmm. 
Um, for me, from a values perspective, it has always been integrity. I grew up in a in a in a um, minister's household, so my father was the local minister here in the village, and he very much had one thing: soup, soap, salvation. So don't go and preach to people, give them something to eat first, make sure that they are clothed and they have a bed to sleep. And if you afterwards want to help them, by all means do. You know, and that is that has always stuck with me since since I'm a little girl. It, it was it was what happened in our household. And then as I started my own business, to me it was very much about it, it's very much about integrity you know being clear and transparent to my clients and their customers what in and around what they get that was the first thing and the second thing is just is really about feel being grateful for what we have got again that goes way back when I was four years old my parents shipped me off to my grandparents in Germany as, as my little brother was born. And my my Oma at the time, she always said to me, Marianne, in the morning when you get up and you walk to the bathroom, just thank God for the new day. That's all you need to do. And I thought, well, what's the point? You know, but it, it was repeated and repeated. And then I realized, actually, there's so much truth. If you start your day with a grateful thankful attitude things naturally feel easier they may not be but they feel easier and that's what I try to to kind of live you know to have these two together on the one side be really grateful and thankful for the half on the second side be extremely focused on is this ethical what I'm doing am I giving my customer the best value to to keep that integrity piece alive I think these are great values and or the foundation of a good customer experience or yeah. a good operational excellence. And yeah. therefore, you are in, in the right playing field. Let's start the game speaking about operational excellence. Yeah. Um, I think the easiest way to start is to asking you your definition of operational excellence. Well, you see, that's an excellent question, Greg, because that's the thing, right? Here is customer experience, and it starts when the customer starts to look at a, a product or something that he or she wants to buy. Operations is then when the, the execution of the process happens, let's say. And very, very often in operations, things go wrong. Something hasn't been sent out on time, customer complains, Or, as we see at the minute, goods are not available. The customer is waiting for weeks on end, and we keep telling them in operations that the goods are not there, which naturally translates into a poor customer experience, or could translate into poor customer experience. However, it depends how we then talk to the customer and keep the communication open that we can turn that experience on its head and make it a good one. So to me, operations, the day in and out, what's happening on the ground is, in my professional opinion, the most important department in the customer journey, where things really happen above and beyond. Yes, I like this, shall I buy it, shall I not? And then the experience kicks in how, 
how they liked the website or whether they liked the chatbot or whatever else they had to interact with. When it comes to operations, if things go wrong there, then it's really bad. I can only say yes, because I was working for a credit card issuer and think about if operation is not working, the processing of all these transactions that are coming in within every second, yeah. then uh, goes, uh, things can go really bad. Yeah. And, and therefore, I really understand what you are saying, but to, to make that a bit more tangible. And I, what I really like from a professional uh, in customer experience or in operational excellence like you, uh, successful consultants, you have the opportunity to see different companies. Mm -hmm. And there it's really interesting to see. Uh, let's say the, 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 the official name is, uh, what's the, the, the thinking about this topic? From your point of view, um, you performed several assessments around mm -hmm. operational excellence. And are companies good enough? That's a, a tricky question because usually companies don't know what they don't know. And when I go in and when my, my team goes in and we, we look at, at five areas of the business because operational excellence and customer experience is not just about the rating you get and that you see in public. So, and when in... Shall we say there are five areas that seem to hide in plain sight? And let me explain what I mean by that. It starts with hiring. If you don't have a job description that focuses on the customer experience that you want to give, you may well hire the wrong person. So, you know, if you have, if you, Make it simple. If you if you work in a in a fashion business for for example for example, and your candidate has absolutely no sense, no interest, no nothing with fashion, will this person be able to really engage with the customer and, and, and feel and hear what they want? It's highly unlikely. So your job description and who you hire into the role is hugely important. The second bit that very many companies do not pay enough attention to is how you treat your employees. This is how they will treat your customers. And that starts from the very minute you hired somebody to the day this person comes to the door. We call this onboarding period. So make sure their laptop has been delivered now in the, in the new way of working. Make sure all their accesses are there. Make sure they have a pass to get into the building on the day they start. Give them a call. Make them feel valued. Companies don't naturally do that. They think, yeah, I hired somebody. This person turns up on Monday or the 30th. And then they are, oh, why did Johnny never turn up? Because we didn't engage. The next one is, which I found, I find absolutely crucial, is the fact that we need to equip our people with the skill to deliver the service. And that means training, whether you like it or not. And training initially is always a cost to the business. But like customer service, initially we seen as a cost to the business. If the training sticks, if it's interactive, if it's accurate, if you run a couple of quizzes to make it fun and at the same time you realize, oh, people know what they need to know. Oh, hang on a second, there's a straggler who doesn't know what he or she needs to know. 
that that initial training and whatever else you offer afterwards can really make a huge difference on the experience that the customer has when talking to an advisor to to somebody that is there to help them. The next bit, which I'm always astounded how many firms do not have it, is is an accurate quality control. And a quality assurance framework is not just did the customer check or did the advisor check that they're really speaking to the customer and make a tick in the box? Yeah, I check that. It's okay. There's so much more to it. Usually in, in CX, you know that we try to work with a customer service delivery vision, something that means, you know, it gives meaning to the advisors as to why they do their job. For many companies, that is absolute and a new way of thinking that just never even thought that that would have a direct impact on how operations run and then the output of that. And last but not least, you have to have your, the right people at the right time, you know, answering your phones or serving your customer. Workforce management is not something that people associate initially as part of operational excellence. But if you don't have the people there when you need them, let's say you have them, we have them there when it suits them, and then there's a gap, that usually, you know, plays out really poorly for the customer. Then it stresses your advisors out, then they leave, then you go back to recruitment and you get into a vicious circle. And that's also not what we want. Oh, it's 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 really interesting because you are covering the complete cycle. Yeah, hiring, engagement before yes. they start, training, quality assurance, and then having you said the right people at the right time. I say enough people because oh, that's first. that's now the next one. The enough people, and, and it's just right now where we all know we there's a shortage of labor, so you may not have enough people, but at least if you know who you have. And when do you deploy these resources? I've just recently worked with a client where we made a very conscious decision because we are short-staffed and we can't get the people. So we looked at how many calls do we get on a Sunday? Actually, it's not that many. Oh, well, then the operations manager said, you know, I'm using Sundays to work the backlog. And I'm kind of going, why would you do that? Work the backlog during the week. So in order to condense the, the knowledge and condensed the resource, we closed the phone line on a Sunday and we thought, oh, we will be hammered with web forms or, or chats or whatever because the phone lines are closed. No, it didn't happen. The customers didn't really react to that, but we have now the opportunity of five advisors times eight hours, that's 40 hours that we can deploy between Monday and Saturday, four o'clock makes a massive difference. I think I really like that. And I was discussing this topic with uh, with another colleague. And I used the example. At the end, you want to start the match with your 11 players and yes. not starting with 10 players. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. and therefore, it's important exactly yeah. to, to stick yeah. to, to this, that you have not more people, so you cannot play with 12. 12 and yes. that's the same issue in business you don't want to play with 12 because it's too expensive correct yeah 
and you need to have uh, 11 at the right time in the right place. Yeah, and totally. I, I love what you're saying. A lot of people are discussing about the first three topics. It's hiring, it's engagement, and it's training. And you mentioned something that it's not so dis it's not discussed enough, this quality assurance, yeah. Q&A. Yeah. Could you please deep dive a bit on that? So by quality assurance, I mean do we actually check the work that our advisors are doing with the customer against a certain set of criteria? And these criteria, in many cases, they link usually to the process, which then it becomes a tick box exercise and it's kind of going, really, does it make a difference? Or it links to the company's values, which is already better than if it's just relating to the, to the process. But it has by far the best impact if we create a customer service delivery framework for quality. We did this recently with the Cotswolds company in the UK and The impact that has was phenomenal because every single person that works with customers in customer services was consulted. If it was you, how would you want to be treated? If you had a query, what would you like to hear? If it was you, how would you like to feel? And the company, that department, customer service department, created their own customer service delivery vision which then we took these words, and remember these are the advisor's own words, not mine, not the CEO's, their words. We took them and created a quality assurance framework around these words that they have chosen. So now if the quality fails, I can go and say to Lucy, Lucy, I'm really sorry, look, you only scored 75%. How does that fit with the vision that you signed up to and you helped to design? What on earth happened here? And you know what? Within no time, that quality score comes back up. And I know it sounds like a lot of work. And yes, it is hard work. But once it's up and running, you don't really have to convince your advisors anymore that they need to deliver quality because they designed their own framework. Why wouldn't they want to deliver against that framework? And with it, it, it had a direct impact. So the quality assurance course internally went up. We, with Cotswolds Company, we would have signed, uh, sent a, uh, an MPS score card of some sort after the transaction. All of these scores went up. But most importantly, the Trustpilot scores which in the UK are rated very, very highly in the public eye. You know, how does this company perform? What service do you get? These trust pilots course, they just went out to roof to 4.5 in January for 60-odd days. We were sitting at 4.5 stars, which in comparison to the competitors of that company, who sits around 4.3, four and 3.8 it was like wow what a statement to the outside world so think about that the impact your advisor has directly to the success of the business by having created a framework that they like and they want to deliver that was just 
a game changer for my client. And we are so proud of them. And of course, a little bit of ourselves as well, because we were able to guide them through that process. Sure. And I think this framework can be used again and again. Oh, uh, yes. And yes. You need to tailor that. But I yeah. think that's the big question I have always getting. How do we measure quality? And what you are saying is you created an uh, inclusive framework because yeah. all the employees, you named them advisor, uh, were part of it. And mm -hmm. the nice thing, what I listen also to what you said, it's it's not only an internal assessment or internal measurement, but you yeah. compare also with with outside, yes. and therefore I think it's it's extremely important. Uh, perhaps, if you are allowed to, uh, you you, how did you really measure this this quality with which scores? We are measuring scores in obviously the opening of a call. And yes, we still do the critical fail piece, you know, make sure that we speak with the right customer, that they really are who they are, say they are, that kind of that regulatory piece, which is, you know, and weights quite heavily. But then we are we are measuring, has the call been empathetic empathetic? Was it easy for the customer to deal with us? So you know, how how straightforward, how simple was it? And has the customer really been helped? Did we go the extra mile? And in each area, there's a handful of questions that are weighted against the overall goal to satisfy the customer. And then we would say, okay, we expect a quality score between 85 and 90%. Now, as soon as you have a critical fail, Your, your score drops significantly because that's the regulatory piece. So if the regulator comes in, obviously I want to make sure you be on the straight and narrow and we are not going to be pulled up and say, well, you actually didn't check whether the, you had the right customer. So, so then it goes down to 70, maybe even to 50%. We also make sure that every advisor gets at least, at least three calls three emails, three chats, so nine in total per month scored. Now for that, we have got quality assurance champions. People tell me, well, you know, we're not that, we're not there. We can't really afford to have somebody full-time just doing quality. I get that. But what you can do is take two people, make 20% of their normal day job, focus on quality, and you're already winning. You do not have to have the full-blown deploy the full-blown process end-to-end -end from the get-go. But to have something is absolutely better than having nothing. And I really like that because it's employees helping other employees doing this yeah. quality insurance instead of uh, buying a technological machine that costs millions and you, can, uh, you yeah. cannot really you can, use. You can run it off a spreadsheet initially. Of course, there is a lot of um, there are a lot of platforms out there that we that we use if you are a big organization like Nice Call Recording or whatever it may be, where you can integrate all of that. But a lot of firms they don't really know what technology they should be buying at the start, or they're kind of reluctant and say, "Well, we have only 20 people. Is it really worth the investment?" If you are there and you're not too sure, create a weighted spreadsheet. Okay, if you are not the wizard in if statements, because I am not, then I give it to somebody who is. And yes, I pay for that, that's okay. But the output is much greater. 
And as soon as you then have that framework, you can develop it as fast or as slowly as you wish to go. And I, I can understand that. And I would say, if you need support, then please contact Marian. She already did that <laughs> in a successful, yes, successful way. <laughs> and therefore, why, why not leveraging already the, the MVP, the minimum viable products already available, yeah. this, this spreadsheet? Yeah, absolutely. And that is that is not so rocket science. That That is easily shareable if anyone wants to have a chat and see what this is and what they want to learn. That's how I'm, I'm happy to share. Thank you. And um, I think as a Swiss lady, you can ensure that quality gets achieved. <laughs> In timely manner, shall we say. <laughs> you know? I'm a stickler for the time and I always get, I always get um, teased about it because I usually turn up about five minutes early to a meeting where everybody else travels in at, at, you know, at the top of the hour or five minutes late. You know, and I, I, I just... That is just the Swissness. I can't help it. That's fine. You, as you mentioned, you, you already performed several operational excellence assessment. And perhaps, um, could you sh share with us what are the, the best short-term measures that you applied to improve in these five areas? Yeah. The first one, very simple, is create a decent job description. That is really not rocket science. And ideally, ask the people who perform the role, what do they really do? And you can create a job spec that is straight on point. If you happen to already have a quality assurance framework, make sure that these number of words are somewhere mentioned in that job description because it triggers people thinking. When it comes to onboarding, if you are the hiring manager, call your new hire at least once a week until such time where the new hire joins you. Because remember, they may work their notice. You know, it's an anxious time for them. They finish up one job. They're not quite sure about the next one. That only costs you a phone call and maybe 10 minutes of your time. But it makes your new hires feel so valued and, it, you know, that they will come and enjoy working for you. From a training perspective, Less is more. I see a lot of trainings delivered crammed in in two weeks. You need to know the whole lot. That is actually counterproductive. Try to give your new hire the tools that they really need to make a difference fast using simple queries or whatever it may be. It makes your new hire feel, oh, I can actually contribute. And then you train them up on, on other things. And from a quality aspect, if you don't have anything today at all, just do me a favor and think about how do you want to be treated by your own customer service team and start there. And that already will just trigger your thoughts and your thinking process and it kind of guide you naturally to what your QA framework should look like. And you can do that on a piece of paper. You don't need to kind of have every technology under the sun. Thank you very much for these this great insights because these are really tangible insights that people can use and yeah. leverage. Uh, now we spoke about the past, the assessment that you did, the framework that, that you, are, you, you shared. And now we are talking about um, operational excellence. What we are discussing about in 10 years time from now? 
I think in 10 years' time from now, we will ho hopefully have iteration three, four, or five of chatbots and artificial intelligence because we cannot get away from that. Let's just face it. This AI is here to stay. It needs to become much better. There are shoots of, of, of products that I see that are really good, but that will also mean the people that deliver a service, they become real specialists. And at least I can only speak for the UK, but in the UK, we are certainly still lagging behind when it comes to recognizing the talent for what they do every day and pay them accordingly. So these are specialists that when the customer needs a human interaction, they get the best of the best and their problem is solved. Hopefully in 10 years time, when that human interaction happens, we really have this highly, highly skilled workforce. But for us in the UK, it's a long way to go. And I think in Switzerland, there is a tendency as well. When I speak to people in Switzerland about contact centers and call centers, they go, oh, no, 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 these are low paid people. And I remember it was only recently when in Switzerland, there was a, a law introduced that these people need to get the minimum wage, I think 4,300 Swiss francs or something to that effect. So we have a long way to go, but it will be absolutely worth it. Thank you very much. And I really love to end this game with balancing human skills with technological yeah. uh, with solutions. And, and this will be the, the key in future. It's the key today, but it will be even more important in the future. Absolutely. But before you leave, Marianne, I still have three questions to ask you. And um, these are the standard questions that yeah. I always <laughs> ask. The, the first one is, is there a book that you can suggest to the audience that help you during your career or during your life? Oh, I should have better prepared for that one. I was of, I'm of that gener generation when uh, Stephen R. Covey came out. So his wisdom set me up to kind of do and get things done rather than sitting on, on pieces and, and not, not, not executing, not doing. I think still he may not be the, the guru at the minute, but he still set me up to do. And today I would use the Full Focus Planner by Michael Hyatt and his book is called Your Best Year Ever. They are brilliant if you need to just focus and get things done, which we need to do in operations. Thank you very much. And what's the best way to contact you? Oh, I love to speak to people on LinkedIn initially. Um, that They can find me on LinkedIn under Marianne Rhodes. There aren't that many. We have a chat. We organize it, maybe a coffee, a virtual coffee. Um, yeah, that is the best way to, to connect with me. It's also time to plug in your outstanding podcast, please, Marianne. Oh, my podcast, The Operational Excellence Show. I love my podcast. Started this as a, as a passion project, really, and have since had so many amazing guests, including yourself, Greg. You know, we, we really loved that show. And you can find it on uh, iTunes, Apple, on, on every podcasting platform, really. We push it out. Uh, give it a listen. Let me know what you think. Uh, get in touch. Yeah. 
I think, and I can confirm it. It's worth it to to listen to, not because I was in your podcast, but <laughs> it's, course, that's it's, important, Greg. It's uh, it's it's really great, and also congr- congratulations because you have more than one hundred episodes. I think this is a great achievement. Thank not you. Not a lot of podcaster can say uh, I achieved one hundred podcasts with such great success. Congratulations, Marianne. Thank you very much. And now we close uh, with the, with the Marian Golden Nugget. It's something that we discussed or something new that you would leave to the audience. For me, it's really take the quality aspect of your service delivery seriously. Because just, just remember, if you have got 20 people that deliver quality to, let's say, 100 people every day, These 100 people are happy, they impact their families of in average four, and you do the sums. That one phone call impacts many more people than you actually think. So you can't really afford not to deliver quality. Thank you very much, Marianne. It was an outstanding golden nugget, the last goal that you scored in, in this podcast. Thank you very much. It was really a pleasure to have you on my podcast. Thank you for having me, Greg. It was a pleasure. I always enjoy speaking with you. And as Marianne, Marianne also said, I hope that the audience enjoyed this, this discussion as much as I did. And please let us know what you're thinking about. If you need anything, feel free to contact Marianne. I will share all the contact details also in the show notes. Thank you very much. And let us know what you think about. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the word of mouth, subscribe it, share it. Until the next episode, please don't forget, we are not in a B2B or B2C business, we are in a human-to-human environment. Thank you.